You're listening to audio from Redemption Church of Houston. We are a people who believe that Jesus has invited everyone into his radically inclusive, world-altering way of love. That means that when we gather on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. or in homes throughout the week, you are welcome here. Regardless of your social status, gender, race, sexual orientation, or politics, we want you to fully and actually join, grow, worship, and serve with us. Whoever you are, whatever you've done, Jesus invites you into his radical love just the way you are. And so do we. Good morning, Redemption. That has been a minute since I got to say that. Actually, it was two weeks ago, but before that, it was almost a whole year. So um, let me get situated over here. Um, yeah. You guys look great. Happy Sunday. Um, yeah, like Jordan said, my name's Mike. Um, I have been around here for a really long time. I look like back on this thing. Again, uh, about 10 years ago, just showed up. Uh, I, if I don't know you, I'm from Houston. I grew up here and in the church and uh, wanted to be a pastor when I was in high school and just kind of tried to do that since then. Um, yeah, just turned 40 this year, so that was also a while ago. But... Uh, through that whole time, um, yeah, I have just always looked for um, just ways to share. Like, I, I, I'm one of those people that gets really excited about things. Um, just like kind of like a natural evangelist kind of person. Usually not in the uh, door-to-door, what happens if you die tonight kind of thing. That always felt weird. I never really liked trying that in my, you know, Baptist summer camps and stuff like that. Uh, but <laughs> if it was anything else, if it's sports or like technology or some band that I just found, I'll, I will talk way more about it than you want me to because I'm just so excited. I really want you to experience what I've experienced. I want you to share the same excitement and joy. And after, you know, lots of years of going to school and being a pastor and then having corporate jobs while I was still trying to do pastor things and then getting here, like Redemption really was the first place where... I, things finally started to make more sense to me as far as, like, what is this whole promise that we have? Like, what, what is this whole gospel, this whole church thing really so focused on? What am I selling somebody else? It, 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 deep down, I was always just so, uh, just kind of conflicted with, like, I, I know, sure, like, I don't want people to, like, burn in hell, but, like, that seems really bad. Like, that's not very helpful. Like, you, you just barely escape terrible things. Let's sing about it. I'm like, that. Um, and I, you know, I didn't know much better. I'd never really heard anything different than that until this place where it, it wasn't this revolu- revolutionary thing that like changed, uh, you know, the Bible's different. It, it was just like, just reading it on its own terms, just reading the life and teaching of Jesus, reading these letters that were written by people who lived with him, telling their friends about how excited they were about this love it wasn't this condemnation future reward thing. It was this current promise of God is love and you can experience that love right now. And this love is not just that you get a second chance or you get a free pass on your past mistakes. 
It's this love that is actually deep and profound and delightful and joyful and life-giving and healing and miraculous. And it's, that's because that's who God is. And we have this opportunity that's always available to us to experience it, to love others in this healing, world-changing way, and then to be loved in return, to be vulnerable and known and still loved. And the fact that this is what the kingdom of heaven is, and that's what we're working toward, and that got me really excited, because that makes a lot more sense than this angry God who loves me a lot, but not only under certain circumstances. And so... All that to say, that's, that's, that's the big, like, overview of, like, the gospel is super good. Like, like God, I think, is very loving, and actually, he is love, and I, I, I believe it. I'm afraid to tell you I believe it, because I've thought about it. It was my job to just think about it and practice this for a long time, um, and I, I still believe it. I still believe that God is love, and that's what's been so interesting for me the past year. Um, again, like, I... I it was actually, it was a year ago next week, it was almost exactly a year ago today, um, that I stopped doing this as my full-time day-in, day-out job. And I didn't know what to expect. Um, you know, the whole year leading up to that um, was a lot of time, like, with my therapist. By the way, therapy is great. We all need it because, you know, emotions are hard to navigate. It's easier with someone from the outside helping us out. You should try it. Uh, trying to figure out, like, who, who am I if I'm not a pastor? Because I was, I was just so tied up in all of that. Um, hard decision, you know, there's been in the years since then, plenty more just processing and, and grief over, you know, this Pastor Mike who's now gone and like, what do I do with, with that? And what does life look like now that things are just so uh, you know, structurally different for me? And so when, you know, Jordan Ray got COVID this week and uh, Brandon sent a text, I was like, hey, can you preach? I'm like, I don't know if I remember how to do that, but sure, I'll, I can try. And like, what do I say? Like, I don't, I don't, I haven't, I don't have one like pre-prepared in my back pocket. I don't have that kind of uh, thing to fall back on. And so I just started reflecting on like my last year. Like, what's, what, what, what's changed? Like, what, what has been uh, like my journey, my thoughts, like my experience since I stepped down? And a lot of the things are different. Uh, I get to sleep in a lot more Sundays than I used to. Um, I. Uh, I don't sing into a microphone as routinely as I used to. Uh, you know, I, I, I don't come to this office and, and pray um, for, for a long time with my other, you know, staff members and friends and pastors. Um, and I don't have the deadline every week of I'm going to be on stage on Sunday and I need to be completely, uh, you know, convinced of and connected to and just enraptured by whatever I'm telling you guys, because if I'm not the most connected person to it, then like, why am I telling you? Like, it, it, it's not gonna help you if I don't fully feel connected to and own this thing that I'm trying to, to sell of this wonderful truth. Um, so I don't have to spend as much you know, time like reading the same way or preparing the same way or like tending my heart the same way. Um, it's, it's been just a radically different year. Um, but over that entire time, with so many things changing, um, every time I'd sit down with Brandon or Zach or some other friend who would just check in as the year went by and like, how are you doing? And what I realized is there is this one thing, while so many other things changed, one thing that never did, and that's that I am still 
just as I'm actually more so convinced today than I was a year ago that God loves me. I'm convinced that he actually delights in being knit together with me and that I am inextricably tied and unified and united to him and that I'm safe in, in that, that place, that my, this father loves me and has affection for me and has open arms for me and, and I'm okay. I'm safe because I'm with him. And even though so many of my spiritual disciplines changed this year, like the, the, the things that used to help me feel and like maintain that, that, that sense of connection to God, so much of it changed, but the love didn't. And so I really had to think about, like, the, I'm so thankful for that. And it, it's, it, the more the year went on, the more kind of surprised I was every time I would say it. Like, no, I, that's still exactly what I feel today. And like, what was it? Um, and that's what I'm going to get to today is that I, I think it was that spiritual disciplines, there's so many. See, I, I, us as, as people, uh, we're all wired so different because God made every one of us and we're all... We all have our own experiences and our own baggage and good stuff, and we have things that really inspire us that don't do anything for anybody else. And you'll have a friend who wants to go like, no, I can go sit alone in a dark room, and I feel so filled up and energized by that. And someone else who's like, that's torture. Why would you do that to yourself? Um, we find the things that really help us, because that's God made all this stuff and gave us so many tools to just always have some way to have an easier time feeling connected to him. And the best one that he gave us, the one that I am convinced is the most crucial thing, is loving and being loved by other people. It's actually being vulnerable and being known by folks and having relationships and being ourselves and being real and being responded to with unconditional love. And giving the same back to them and that exchange, that living life together, that is intimacy. That is the presence of God. That is the thing that all the other spiritual disciplines need to be making better, need to be making easier. All the study in the world is great, but if it's not making us more loving, then it's not actually bringing us closer to God. And so to be clear, again, I'm sorry, I don't, I don't have much didn't have much time to put this together, so I'll bounce around a little bit. I also have ADHD, speaking of the mental health stuff, um, <laughs> which it, it helps for this sense, I guess, if you, if you buy into this and you really believe that like, the, the love is, is, is all you need thing. Um, because that's the way my brain works, is there's too many, th I need to connect everything together and find something that ties it all together. And, and for the Bible and for faith and for my entire worldview now, it's love. That's the one thing that is consistent and explains everything for me and is always the better way to go. So I'm going to talk a little bit about uh, why I think that is true, why my experience has shown that to me. And um, yeah, you're just along for the ride. Sorry, I have a microphone, so it's going to be good morning. Um, so again, I have been consistently convinced of my, my, my safety and my acceptance and my nearness to the God of the universe. I have not been happy the whole time. ADHD, depression, anxiety, I take medication for all of it, go to therapy. It's always a struggle, and there's ups and downs. And even this past week, it's, it's every week, there's good days and bad days. My emotions are a roller coaster, like all of ours are, because that's what life is, and we have feelings. But there's this deeper level below that that's just more helpful and constant 
more than any feeling could ever be, of, of actually being able to feel connected to God and be, being convinced of like, I, I still, I, I don't feel that today, but no, I'm, I'm convinced. I know it's true. I, I, I can try and rest in that. I can try and remind myself of that. I can try and, and respond to other people like that's still true for me today. And what I've found over all these years in testing it is, I, th- I think it's still true. I think it's still the best way to go. I think it still has not let me down, and I don't think that it ever will. So, again, spiritual practices are so important, but they can change. And you can go season to season and find that something that worked great for a while doesn't work anymore. Change it. Try, try a different thing. There's literally thousands of years of people trying to pursue God and pursue God life with him who have found things that work for them. Try them all. But underneath all of those things, you always need to be living and breathing love for the people around you. Um, I, I, had, <laughs> I said to write, pre-write jokes and sermons. They never really work. So that, that's where I was going to go. Like, see, it's just love. So I'm going to pray and we'll be done for the day. I'm not. I'm going to keep talking for a while. Um, yeah, there's so much. But love is the way of Jesus. I'm totally convinced of it that this love really is conquering death. That, like, the, the sacrifice of Jesus was... I, I, there are lots of metaphors to explain, like, why all these things are important and, like, why God does what he does. That, that sacrifice of Jesus shows us that the way that God is healing the world, the way that God is actually conquering the power of death is through love. It's not through being stronger or being more violent or being more whatever. And the way of the world is completely upside down. It is by sacrifice and by love, by unconditionally forgiving, no matter what. Loving and being loved is experiencing the presence of God. And uh, not only did I not not always feel great, uh, did I always choose love in all my relationships? Have I been consistent this whole year? Because I feel secure in the love of God. So I'm just going to be always gracious and loving to the people around me. (laughs) <laughs> no, 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 no. I, I have not been consistent in that. There's plenty of times. Um, <laughs> again, just this week, my wife Catherine's in the back. Yeah, I've, I've not been loving this whole week. Um, but even in those times when I choose myself, when I take out bad feelings on other people, when I, when I fail to show love to someone around me, love was still the better choice. And what I feel like is... is growth and what I feel like in my life feeling like it's more just even keel and progressing towards something better and more godlike and more more healed is that again not always in the moment I can't always choose it sometimes I can't sometimes I know I should and I just don't want to but it doesn't take long eventually I can eventually I can come around and realize I I need to admit that I need to go make things right I need to I need to love Love is the better choice. That's what's going to make me grow and heal and come closer to God. Yeah. All right. Let me get over these notes. So um, let me pray for us real quick. I'm pray one more time. I'll, I'm going to read some passages from the Bible. Again, because I, I, I think this, these are like my thoughts. I go back and read uh, a, a lot more intentionally this week than I have in a while. Um, and I just, I feel like, yeah. It's all, it's all supporting. It's all exciting. And all, it's, I'm reading these uh, letters from guys who knew Jesus and followed him and tried everything they could with their lives to follow him. 
and they seem really excited about how much God is love. So let me pray for us. We'll read a little bit more, and yeah, then we'll get out of here. But let's pray. Father, thank you so much. Thank you so much for these, uh, these people, for this place. God, thank you for creating the world, for creating every single one of us. If you have a Bible, uh, go ahead and open it up to Ephesians chapter 2. Um, if you don't, there's one under the seat in front of you. You can grab that if you want to. Um, if you don't have a Bible and the one in front of you is not great, I, I've always said this. No one ever took me up on it. After the service, come up and ask me. I will walk around the room with you and like shop through the chairs and find a really awesome, perfect, non-touched Bible for you to take home with you. We want you to take it home. It's yours. Just take it. It's great. So come ask me later. We'll go shopping. Um, and uh, again, I grew up in church. Uh, Ephesians is toward the back of the book. Uh, this is a helpful thing that now you'll never forget it because I never forgot it from when I was a kid. Uh, it's the acronym GE Power Company. Super cheesy, but what it stands for is Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. There are four of Paul's letters that are all bunched together toward the back of the book. If you go past Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, a couple other ones, you'll get to one of the four GE Power Company, and then you know that you're close. So there you go, GE Power Company. You'll never forget it now. Um, we're going to be there in chapter 2, and uh, it's just more caveats because I'm scattered, uh, is that I'm going to be reading from a translation called The Message today. Um, that's what we really believe is that every translation of the Bible is an interpretation necessarily because none of it was written in English. So anything you read is someone making choices about how to say everything. That means that they're all valuable. There's, there's no heretical translation that, I'm sure there are heretical translations. If the ones that you buy in, <laughs> you've heard in a church that you can re, you know, like use in a store or pick up in a store, they're all helpful. They're all useful. There's no like one true way, even though some of them sell themselves that way. And some churches and pastors tell you, this is the only one to trust. It's just not true. They're all helpful. So the message is helpful to me because it sounds the least like most of the Bible's verses that I've read and heard over the years, probably for you too. Um, so Ephesians 2, you can keep it open to, like, to double check that it sounds similar enough to be real. Uh, but I'm going to read it because it helps me a lot to hear things in fresh language and to hear what these are, which is people who walked with Jesus, or Paul, who, fine, there, there's a much longer story about Paul and Saul's conversion, but directly met Jesus and was changed by him and then wrote lots of letters to his friends telling him, 
Jesus changed my life. Jesus is amazing. Let me tell you about why. I want you to know what I've known. I want you to see what I've seen and feel what I feel, and I want you to see this too. So that's what it should sound like as a friend talking to us about how awesome the love of God is. All that said, Ephesians 2, chapter 1. It wasn't so long ago that you were mired in that old stagnant life of sin. And then we'll stop there. We're going to read the rest, but I'm going to pause again, because again, caveats. There's a good chance you've heard a phrase like this before. You're, you're living this life of sin, and it's probably been said by someone who is trying to shame you or shame somebody else for not following their list of rules of, of what moral things make a godly life. Some way of making sure you feel bad about it or trying to make sure that your behavior can line up with what they think your behavior should be. That's that life of sin. I think that is way too narrow and misused and misguided. And while we're reading through this, I would like for you to try this different lens. Just try and hear it a different way. That the way of God is love. God is love. And so sin is this power. It's, it's the opposite of that. Sin is just not loving. Sin is failing to love. Sin is doing anything that hurts someone else that robs them of, of wholeness, and we call it shalom, like this, this everything being right. Because you, you failed to love, you sinned. That's what sin is. So this life of sin is not all, you name it, the, the, the dancing or, you know, <laughs> whatever other phrase you've heard before about like what, what, what non-Christians do. This old second life of sin is just failing to love. It's, it's living life in a way where you're choosing yourself over everybody else. So have that lens. I'm going to keep reading now. Again, it might seem hippy-dippy or liberal, but I'm fully convinced. Um, yeah, for ways like uh, <laughs> some more support. If I say the whole law is love, that might sound like, I, I would have heard that as a very liberal, like, you know, whatever modern reading of something. That's, that's still so off base when I was younger, when I knew everything. And, but I look, we get GE Power Company, we're in E, Ephesians, same guy, Paul, wrote the letter before this, Galatians, to a church in the city called Galatia. Galatians 5, Paul says this, For the whole law is fulfilled in one word, love your neighbor as yourself. It's the same guy. Like, I don't think I'm making a huge leap to say, I think what he means is following God means loving your neighbor, because he literally says it in the book before this. The whole law is love your neighbor as yourself. And then Jesus, in the Gospels, when the rich young ruler asked him, hey, what's the most important commandment? Jesus himself says, love God, love your neighbor as yourself. So all the Ten Commandments, all of the myriad of rules and laws that the church and Christians and, and you know, the, the, the rabbis and everyone else have tried to put up to try and help people pursue a life with God, all those rules are supposed to help us love God and love our neighbors as ourselves. There's not an exhaustive list of things that we need to be afraid of breaking all the time. We're just supposed to love each other. That is what everything else is supposed to help us do. So verse 2 is, it wasn't so long ago, or I'll start from the beginning. It wasn't so long ago that you were mired in that old stagnant life of sin. You let the world, which doesn't know the first thing about living, tell you how to live. You filled your lungs with polluted unbelief then exhale disobedience. Again, you listen to the world. 
it said you should just care for yourself. It said look out for number one. It said the, the, the fittest survive. It said gather and accumulate all you can because that's all there is. You got to look out for yourself. But he says the world doesn't know the first thing about living. That's not living. <laughs> that we, we, we buy into that and we were trained. But it's that, that is like you know, the ocean that we swim in in our culture and society and all the other ones before us too. That's the world. That's the way that life goes. And that's the way people work. And it is the way that the world works, but it's not supposed to work that way. It's not something that we're supposed to like follow and pursue and try and be the best at because it's, it's broken. It's the way that things are not supposed to work. The way of God is love. That all the things we're experiencing now are broken things that God is putting back together. He has already started healing and giving us the ability to be part of that healing. And he's not going to stop until everything in the cosmos is made right again. That is the hope of Jesus. That is the hope of resurrection. That is the hope of this God of creation that we follow, that we pursue, that we want to know better, is that everything is being made right again. It's not winning the game of capitalism or like being the best at whatever version of power structure that we live in. It's going the other way and knowing love instead. That is the way of God. And if we don't, then he said this language of you're mired in this stagnant life. That living for ourselves, it just it sucks. We're just stuck there, spinning our wheels, feeling bad, and not experiencing actual life forever. And we all deep down want to, and we absolutely need to be freed from that. We need a better way. Moving on, he says, we all did it. We all did this. We all breathed in what the world gave us and breathed it back out. We all did it. All of us doing what we felt like doing when we felt like doing it. All of us in the same boat. It's a wonder God didn't lose his temper and do away with the whole lot of us. Because, again, that whole way of doing things, that's not the way of God. Seems like that would be pretty frustrating to him and grieve his heart and all those other things. So what's the alternative? Is what we move on. God could have, totally justified in wiping us all out, getting, getting rid of us, giving up on us, letting us just spin our wheels in this mired, stagnant way of life forever. But instead, immense in mercy and with an incredible love, he embraced us. He took our sin-dead lives and he made us alive in Christ. He did all of this on his own with no help from us. And then he picked us up and set us down in highest heaven in company with Jesus, our Messiah. The way of God is not domination and conquest. The way of God is embrace. The way of God is incredible love that does not make sense. That is the way of God. It's responding to a selfish, guilty of not loving the person next to them. It's responding to that person with just love and embrace. 
And it's doing that all in his initiative, his character and his power. He initiates that. This is who he is and what he does. And then this last, that last verse I just read, that it's this past tense, catch this, past tense. He picked you up and placed you in the highest heaven along with Jesus the Messiah. It's past tense, which is super weird. But what makes sense to me, and I, again, I, I, I believe by staking my life on this for a long time, and then I will continue to for as long as I can keep it up, it's that our hope is not in a future reward. It is not in some far-off thing that if we follow enough rules and are good enough that we'll get to taste some great thing called heaven later on. Heaven is the presence of God. And I'm going to posit to you guys that the presence of God is love, which means that when we love and are loved by others, we are literally getting a taste of heaven. Right here and now, we get to experience the kingdom of heaven in a real, tangible, life-changing, world-healing way. Now, we don't have to wait until some far-off thing or some far-off place. Heaven is here. It's this place just with everything put right again. So this amazing offer is not only that God, first of all, responded to you, to me, to everybody, with embrace and love. We did nothing to deserve it. We did nothing to initiate it. Absolutely nothing. It was all him. But that offer is you can taste heaven now. And that goes against this mired, stagnant way of life that's the way the world works. We have an alternative. Because of the initiative of the love of God, we get to experience heaven now. We don't have to keep living this way. And it's not all forever. Again, this is it's this idea of already, not yet. It's already started. Heaven is breaking in. Patrick said that a few minutes ago. That it's, it's, it's here, actively. And I'm telling you, I believe that because I've seen it and I've tasted it over and over and over again. On those times when, when I am finally able to confess my wrongs to somebody else, my, 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 my failure to love them and ask for forgiveness and humbly like, to just want it. Like, I, I really, I, I, I hurt that I hurt you. And then when I get grace back, when I get responded to with embrace and love by another human being, that's the kingdom of heaven. I can taste it for real, like here, all of us do. And I'm guessing if it's not like your everyday experience, you've still experienced that before. You know that. This is this thing that we can actually tangibly chase, and it is so gracious that God gives it to us. He's not some far-off deity that we need processes and, and rules and books to try and connect to. He gives us flesh and blood, real people who are all made in his image equally to experience the same love together in a real way. It's not just faith. It is a real thing that we can actually have and practice and give to each other. It's a glimpse now, and it'll be here in full eventually. And then, as if that wasn't good enough, Paul keeps going. And this next part is just one of my faves. Now, now, I'll read it in two different tones. Because what he says first is, now God has us right where he wants us. Which sounds so sinister, but it's not at all. It's great. He says, now, 
after he, because he's placed us up in the kingdom of heaven with Jesus, he's, he's giving us this taste of the kingdom of love. Now God has us where he wants us. With all the time in this world and the next to shower grace and kindness upon us in Christ Jesus. That is not a God who's trying to stop himself from destroying me. This could not be further from that. What God wants is eternity, infinite amount of time, because that's how much kindness and grace he wants to show you. Like, there's literally not enough time to do it, because there's so much of it, and he wants you to experience so much, but it can't stop. He could never exhaust it, because there's... That's all there is. It's just the love of God. He wants to shower grace and kindness upon us. Saving is all his idea and his work. All we do is trust in him enough to let him do it. It's God's gift from start to finish. We don't play the major role. If we did, we'd probably go around bragging that we'd done the whole thing, which a lot of us do. No, we neither make nor save ourselves. God does both the making and the saving. He creates each of us by Christ Jesus to join him in the work he does, the good work he has gotten ready for us to do, work we had better be doing. Again, in this lens, if we're reading it with the way I suggested, the good work is love. The good works are loving the people around us. That he's doing and he's making possible through his spirit, through forgiving us and embracing us. And the whole meaning of life literally is to love the people around us. That's why I think that we're here in the first place. And again, I, I believe that this salvation is being saved from having to live that other way forever from having to just spend ourselves on trying to find some way to make ourselves happy and, and choosing ourselves over everybody around us. We're not doomed to that kind of life. We're offered something better. Yeah, he has eternity to shower love and kindness on us. And those are the good works. Love, 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 love. So again, the reason why I'm up here telling you guys this today. Um, again, a lot of you guys know me, a lot of you don't. If you know me, you know that there's no way I would be trying to sell you something that I didn't wholly believe. Um, I, I have, if you want to win some money off of me, let's play poker. I have absolutely no poker face. All I have is just like what I'm feeling is what you see all the time. Um, it's, it's really good if you're trying to like write songs or you know be a pastor. It helps to just not be able to, <laughs> to hold things back. It's really inconvenient a lot of the time. Um, just going through life is tough when you, when you do that. But me getting up here and doing this, and I, I could not seem excited about this if I didn't believe it. If this wasn't my actual experience that I've lived and I've seen and experienced with my own life, I, I wouldn't be saying this. And I don't think that Paul would be writing this either. He sounds way too excited for someone who's just trying to sell something fake. <laughs> Yeah, this perspective and drive that it's just proven to bring life and healing um, and just progress for me and my relationships and growth. I relate to this joy that Paul has because I've experienced it too. And before I read one more, one other thing, I just want to remind you, um, 
that God responded first. That he says that you know, God, God forgave us. He initiated. He did it first. And that also means that you're already forgiven even if you don't ever accept it. If you don't like ask for forgiveness, you were already forgiven. It happened in past tense. He literally says, it's all God. You have no part in this. You're already forgiven. You're not being saved from eternity in hell. You're being saved from having to live this way and missing out on what you're made for, on the richness and joy the life is supposed to be of loving and being loved. That's what we're saved into. That's what we can hope for. That's why we don't have to have fear of any, of any falling short in any other way. You're already forgiven. All of us are. Everyone is. And we are saved into not having to live in the way of the world anymore. You've been saved from that. You can taste it and see it. And so, how do we practice this? Um, I'm, uh, well, I'm, it's not going to be up here. I'm going to read a couple more from uh, a book a little later on in the Bible called First John. It's another guy, John, was one of the twelve disciples, and he—it's <laughs> my favorite flex of all time. That he, when he writes, he calls himself the disciple that Jesus loved. I mean, that's come on, that's. <laughs> It's pretty insane to say, well, the 12 disciples, not, but I'm the one that Jesus loved. Like, isn't that like the opposite of everything that he said? Like, why would you say that? Um, <laughs> which, again, wouldn't, it wouldn't make any sense except unless you can read it in this context of this guy was so completely transformed and freaked out and blown away and amazed that God loved him, that he lived life with Jesus and at the, at the Last Supper was in the bosom of Jesus, was just literally like laying on him because he was so close to this man, to God himself, that it, it freaked him out and he would say that, like, no, no, God loved me. Like, no, I'm not saying he didn't love you. I'm saying, like, God loved me. Can you believe that? God loved me. So he was completely transformed and freaked out and he just gushes about it all the time and it makes me feel like God's really close and near I'm not going to read all that. Again, like I told you, I'm scattered. I've got like way too much to go through now. Um, or that I could, but I'm not going to because it's not really going to help anything else. These are not pie-in-the-sky theories. These are not things that are just like good belief that if we have, life will go better. These are, are things that are, are meant to be lived out, that are meant to actually change the way we, we do life, the way we live, the way we have our relationships. And if, if I would encourage you, your homework, really, your homework this week, is to go read the book of 1 John. It's very short. Um, try it in the message, because it sounds like a guy just talking to you. But it's just a short letter of one person to his friends saying, oh my God, God is love. It's real. And I've experienced it, and I want you to experience it too. He starts his letter saying that he's writing because the word of life appeared right before our eyes. We saw it happen. And now we're telling you in most sober prose that what we witnessed was incredibly this, the infinite life of God himself took shape before us. We saw it, we heard it, and now we're telling you so that you can experience it along with us. This experience of communion with the Father and the Son, Jesus Christ, our motive for writing is simply this. We want you to enjoy this too. And your joy will double our joy. 
Which again, that's why I'm telling you today. It's exactly it. I've seen this thing. I've lived it. I've touched it and seen it and experienced it. I have experienced so much healing and my relationships are better and I'm more loving because I've experienced this. And all I want is for you to experience it too because this is the way that we can experience the presence of God together. Then he goes on to the first practical thing again. What do we do with this? The first thing that, that really means that we can live into this and experience it is that we admit it when we don't. That we admit it and own up to it when we fail to love somebody. The way John says, this is in essence the message we heard from Christ and are passing on to you. God is light, pure light. There's not a trace of darkness in him. If we claim we experience a shared life with him and continue to stumble around in the dark, we're obviously lying through our teeth. We're not living what we claim. But if we walk in the light, God himself being the light, we also experience a shared life with one another as the sacrificed blood of Jesus, God's son, purges all of our sin. If we claim we're free from sin, we're only fooling ourselves. A claim like that is errant nonsense. On the other hand, if we admit our sins, simply come clean about them, he won't let us down. He'll be true to himself. He'll forgive our sins and purge us of all our wrongdoing. If we claim that we've never sinned, we out and out contradict God. We make a liar out of him. A claim like that only shows off our ignorance of God. This can sound confusing that he, if I feel like Paul's kind of, or John's contradicting himself. It's the, well, I'm supposed to walk in the light. If I know God, I'm walking in the light. But if I say I'm not, I'm not stumbling in the darkness, then I'm lying. What? How, how can it be both? I don't understand. And I think this is, this is part of just like what it looks like for this to live out for us right now. It's just already not yet. We know it. We try. We love. And sometimes we fail because everything's not done being fixed, because we still live with, you know, brains that uh, need help balancing the chemicals so we're not depressed all the time. We still have friends, and we have days where we take, it out, or take out bad feelings on each other. We have selfishness. We're around selfish people, because we all are. But while we're walking in the light, that just means that we can own it. We can actually admit it when we make mistakes and we fail to love somebody else. And the way of God is that, when we do that, at least when we admit it to God, we are every single time met with embrace and love and forgiveness. If we hold everything in and try and just prove to everyone that we've got all our stuff together, if, if, you, if you can't admit when you fall short, you can't experience healing. You can't actually experience this, this thing of Owning it and somehow, it, and taking that risk, it's vulnerable and it's scary because someone could hit you for it. You could be punished in myriad ways, whatever it is. Just made to feel worse by admitting your fault. But if you're met with love, if you're met with forgiveness and actual grace, you're healed. The, the fear goes away. It's taken care of. That's the this first step of living into this kingdom of love is just trying and trusting the people around us to respond like God when we admit our faults. Later on in John's letter, in chapter 3, he says this, 
My dear children, let's not just talk about love. Let's practice real love. This is the only way we'll know we're living truly, living in God's reality. It's also the way to shut down debilitating self-criticism, even when there is something to it. That, that hits me pretty hard, the way I'm wired. Um, my, my general reaction is not like it's someone else's fault. It's always my fault. That's just the way that my, my default way of thinking is. And this really knocked me out when I read it. <clears throat> to say it in this, this, this language caught me off guard. But not only to admit fault when it's the right thing to do in the situation to like restore things, it's admitting fault when you know you made a mistake. Like, when you actually know it's your fault, not just like, oh, I, I did something fine, but they got upset about it, so I got to go apologize for that. It's like, no, like, I, I know for sure I screwed up, and I'm really scared to admit that because it's real and it's true. It's like, well, if you can admit it and get grace in return, then you don't have to be held down by that. You don't have to be struggling. You don't have to be stuck in the dark and feeling all the shame and guilt and fear of admitting when you made a mistake because it's not there. You're not being judged. You're not being punished. You're not in nothing. You're just getting love in return. You can actually have freedom from all that. God is greater than our worried hearts and knows more about us than we do ourselves. And friends, once that's taken care of and we're no longer accusing or condemning ourselves, we're bold and free before God. We're able to stretch out our hands and receive what we asked for. Because we're doing what he said. We're doing what pleases him. Again, this is God, his command. To believe in his personally named son, Jesus Christ. He told us to love each other in line with the original command. And as we keep his commands, we live deeply and surely in him. And he lives in us. And this is how we experience his deep and abiding presence in us by the spirit that he gave us. This is God's reality. This is it. This is the way of God, not the way of the world. His reality is loving and being loved. And the last like bonus challenge for you guys this week is this other crazy idea based on the fact that we were pre-forgiven, that we were all genuinely, completely whatever other word to say completely, totally forgiven before we ask to be forgiven, is that if we're trying to follow the way of God, we can do exactly the same thing for other people. That we have this choice, again, just like when we have the choice to admit fault, to admit our failure to love someone and, and have them show us grace, we also have the choice sometimes for someone to hurt us and for us to decide to forgive them even if they never ask for forgiveness. It's one of those things that sounded absolutely insane to me when someone first told it to me. But I have tasted it. I have seen it. I have lived it. It, it. There's no way to say it other than it's miraculous. That it feels like it's impossible to, to finally forgive someone and feel affection for them until they admit it. Until you just, just that one step. You don't have to do anything or like... I'm not being unreasonable, you know? I don't, you don't have to pay any penalty or anything. Just admit it. Just say you're wrong, and then, we'll, then I'll forgive you. If I can forgive them without even that peace, then that forgiveness heals me. 
that even true, like genuine, deep hurt, what I've lived and experienced is that that hurt is gradually drowned out by compassion for that other person, by slowly and slowly, but not that, not doesn't take that long, for my desire for their good to just be louder than my need to, to get justice, to get something that feels like they made up for it. I could, then I care more about their good than mine, and, and I just don't notice it as much. And that, that heals these relationships to be even more gracious and to keep going because they are obviously in this place where they're still feeling the fear and shame. They can't admit it because they're too embarrassed or upset or focused on their side of the, the conflict. It's fine, but then you'll be able to feel compassion for them and where they are. And you'll be able to treat them just as lovingly and with the embrace that God has for you. It sounds crazy, but I'm going to keep telling you guys that I believe it's true. And even this morning, um, because the last thing is that, again, this seems crazy. It's insane. What I'm asking you guys to do this week is to share some of my faith. That's it. It's that I'm just someone up here who's telling you I've seen this. I've tried it. It's risky, but I've tried it and it works. I've tried it and I believe this is true. I believe this is the reality that we all live in. So just borrow some of my faith for a while. Borrow just a little bit. Trust, like Mike says it's true, I'll try it. And see what happens for you. See how God takes care of you directly. How you get to experience wholeness and healing because love is the way of God. Because loving and being loved is literally experiencing the presence of God. That's what we can do for each other. That's what we can do as we go forward. It's either you're borrowing someone else's because you need it today, or you're sharing yours with somebody else because you're, you're not in the dark place at this exact moment. It's beautiful, and it works. And I believe this is what the kingdom of God really is. I hope you'll join me in it this week. Let's pray. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to learn more about us, get coffee with a pastor or visit us on a Sunday, then go to redemptionhou.com. And please know today that you are fully loved and fully accepted just the way you are. We hope to hear from you soon.